you open your Bibles to Philippians chapter 4, and uh, this morning we're just looking at two verses. Uh, as I mentioned the last couple of weeks, we're slowing things down here in, in chapter 4 of Philippians, and one of the reasons for that is this chapter is just so familiar to so many of us, and I find myself, when I'm familiar with a text of Scripture, sometimes I tend to just read right through it, because I know it. Uh, but the more I study the Word of God, the more I realize, I mean, I know the Word, but there's more I realize I don't know. Uh, and every time you go to the Scripture, isn't it true that the Spirit of God can just highlight certain things and help us to understand the Word more clearly? So let's go ahead and read verses 4 through 8 of Philippians 4. <clears throat> I'm sorry, 8 through 9. Philippians 4, 8 and 9. Finally, brethren, whatever things are true... Whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there is any virtue and if there is anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things and the things which you have learned and received and heard and saw in me, these do, and the God of peace will be with you. Let's open up in a word of prayer. Father, thank you for this time that we can set apart just to study your word. Lord, thank you for the, the joy of knowing you. Thank you for your spirit who takes your word and applies it to our lives. That, Lord, you make it personal. And you, uh, you, you've given us your son. You've given us your spirit. You've given us your word. We thank you today as, as our country celebrates Thanksgiving. Father, may it be a, a heart and attitude that we have every single day as we look at the blessings that we have in Christ. And so this morning, Father, we welcome your spirit. We welcome you to teach us. We ask that you would continue to give us the mind of Christ. Allow us to see things through your perspective, through your lens. And uh, Lord, may it translate into everyday action in our lives as believers. God, may we be witnesses to those that we come in contact with at work and at, at home, Lord, through the holidays as we meet with family members who we long for them to know you, God, this morning. We, we just pray that you'd make us more like your son. And so we thank you for this morning. I thank you for your people in Jesus' name. Amen. So as, as we've been going through this book of Philippians, one of the themes that we've seen all throughout this book is how we think matters. And the Lord wants us to think uh, like the Lord. He wants us to have the mind of Christ. And I mentioned last week that this is not some abstract mind of Christ where you're going to go into a closet and it's just going to be imparted to you through your, say, meditation. Rather, the mind of Christ comes as we fill our hearts and our minds with the Word of God. And the more you're in the Word, the more the Word gets into you, the more you begin to think like the Lord. But hopefully it doesn't stop there. We don't want to just think like the Lord. We want to act like the Lord, right? We want to do uh, the things that are pleasing to the Lord. So hopefully our thoughts begin to transform into action, that we are doers of the Word and not hearers only. And so we want to act like Jesus. And I believe the more that we act like the Lord, uh, the more we're going to be a light in this dark and perverse generation that Paul described for us earlier in this epistle. Um, last time together, we looked at difficulties in life and how often difficulties or uncertainties can creep in and they can rob us of the mind of Christ if we're not careful. 
We can allow things like anxiety to come and flood uh, everything that, that really we know to be true. We can allow uh, anger or resentment to steal God's gentleness from us. Um, it's really up to us as believers. You know, we have the ability as believers to think a certain way. We, we're not captive to the world anymore. We have a new mind through the Spirit of God. And so we can choose whether we think biblically or we think uh, wrongly. And so life circumstances can rob us of joy, of, of gentle spirit, and of peace. And what we saw in chapter 4 is that in the midst of uncertainties, we serve a God who is certain, right? We serve a God who does not change. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And because of the person of God, because of his character, because of his nature, we can rejoice in him always, regardless of our circumstances. We can rejoice in him. We can let him fight our battles. And therefore, our gentleness can be made to all men. And we can also experience his peace in the midst of sometimes very trying circumstances to where his peace wants to guard our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. But have you ever let your circumstances dictate your thoughts? Have you ever let situations in life cause you to maybe grow depressed or angry or frustrated or maybe fear and anxiety well up from within? Uh, as someone who's very familiar with anxiety, I can tell you that when I allow those things to, to rule the, my mind, it creates this tunnel vision where all I can see is the problem or the circumstance. And it's all that I see. It's right in front of me. And I believe today in our text, what the Lord wants to do is he wants to enlarge our vision. He wants to enlarge our minds. He wants us to see wonderful things that, that he has, is, and will do. Uh, and it all begins again with how we think. So notice, let's read verse 8 again. Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, and whatever things are of good report, if there is any virtue, and if there is anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. Now, I, I don't know about you, when I first approached this passage of Scripture, my mind almost every single time focuses on these adjectives that are described for us. Things like true, noble, just, pure, lovely. In fact, when I began to study this passage, that was my first inclination, is let me le learn what those words mean. But as I began to look at this text, I think it's very intriguing that there's a word that I just usually pass over, and it's a word that Paul actually uses six times in this little verse. And it's the word whatever. Notice, before everything, he uses that term, whatever. Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just. And he uses this word six times. Think about it. He could have just said it once. He could have said, whatever things are, are true and noble and lovely. But he didn't do that. And I think that these are the neat things, I think, that the Spirit of God, if, if we're diligent to just look at and study the Word of God, that He wants to point out to us that He chose to do this on purpose. And I, I believe one reason is this. Is, could it be true that we as believers could fall into a trap? We've seen over the last couple weeks that we are called citizens of he heaven, right? Our citizenship is in heaven. We're also told that the Lord's return is near, and the fact that this world is only temporary, it's passing away. 
But here's my, my thought. Could, could understanding these truths cause us to miss the good in God's creation presently? In other words, the fact that we're just here temporarily, and we know the Lord's coming back, and we know that really everything's going to be judged, could that cause us to, and it's not the word of God, it's us, could it cause us to come to a frame of mind that's not biblical? To where I come to that conclusion, well, we're out of here. I could care less about this place. I just, I just want to be raptured because, you know, let, let everything else burn. See, I've seen believers kind of have that attitude. They have the right doctrine. I mean, they have the same doctrine that we do. We believe, of course, the Lord's going to rapture his church. We believe he's coming back soon. We look at the signs of the times. But could it be that we miss the hand of God presently in his creation? You might say, well, hasn't everything been tarnished by sin? Well, of course it has been, right? I mean, I look at my own life, I can definitely see that sin has made a big impact uh, in, in my own life, in my own family's life. But I think that the present creation, you ever see those snow, the snow globes? You'll see those a lot this time of year. You shake them and every, all the snow comes. I think the present world that we live in is sort of like one of those snow globes that's been fallen to the ground and it's cracked and it's broken. It's not what it should be. But if you were to still look at that snow globe, you'd still see glimpses of beauty. You'd still see pieces of the maker, of the creator of it, that you could marvel in, even though it's not the way that it was meant to be. And so after sin, remember it was after sin that the psalmist declares, the heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament shows his handiwork, day unto day utter speech. And night unto night reveals knowledge. That's Psalm 19. It was after sin entered the world that the psalmist penned that saying. And so as believers, even though we're in a sinful, dark, perverse generation, there are still things in this world that we can meditate on, that we can celebrate, that we can see God's hand. And I believe that Paul, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, desires to expand our vision this morning so that the door of our mind beholds creation through a new lens. And he wants us, therefore, to think biblically in the world that we currently inhabit. And so, again, what, notice that word whatever. Whatever you find in your life, this is going to be a key word I want us to, to think about. And, uh, and ultimately, what we're going to look at in verse 8, these things that we're going to meditate on, they're going to take our, our eyes off of that tunnel vision that we, sent, we tend to get when we're in the midst of, of life. Uh, and all of creation will ultimately point us to the Lord and his goodness. Now, one last thing I want to point out before we get into the text. The words that Paul uses in verse 8 are not typical words that he uses in his other letters. And that's significant. The words that he does use are also very familiar to the Philippians that he's writing to and to anyone in the culture in the time that he's writing. They're words that if you were a Philippian, you would have grown up with. You would have been taught these things from an early age. Why? Because society valued these things. And so, verse 8, finally, brethren, whatever things are true... Okay? It's not so much things that are truthful, but literally things that are of true in character. Now, if you're thinking about meditation, the first thing I think my mind goes to is what is true, the Word of God, right? 
So everything as a believer, I should be, first of all, meditating on the Word of God daily. We, we read that in Psalm 1, the blessedness of meditation on His Word. But ultimately, isn't it the Word of God that I decipher everything that comes my way in this life, in this world? It's how I discern whether something is true or false. You have to have a benchmark, right? You have to know what is true. And so I need the Word of God. I need to be meditating on the Word of God daily. I need to understand what truth is. Because listen, we live in a day and age where definitions are changing. And what is true today wasn't necessarily true yesterday. Well, then there's no absolute truth if that's the case. And so as believers, I need to know the benchmark. I need to know God's Word. And His Word, He's given us His Word to understand what is true in character. It's able to help us to discern, to have the mind of Christ. Because we realize there are many things in this world that are true, but it's His Word that is flawless. And it's His Word that enables us to understand these things. But there's other things that you'll experience that you can also meditate in. How about the laws of science? The laws of science. Notice I didn't say theories of science. Big difference. But the laws of science are really just ways that God has created the universe. And when you try to go against those laws, usually don't, things uh, good don't happen, right? Do you ever try to jump uh, from a high place and see if gravity is really going to take its course? Usually gravity wins. And so we see here the laws of science, God's creative order. I remember in high school, or I'm sorry, in college at Penn State, after I was saved, I remember taking a course in physiology. Anyone ever study physiology? And it's the study of cells. It's the study of really very small, complex things within our bodies. And as I began to study these cells, I realized, wow, a single cell within our body is more complex than our largest cities in the world. And it began to just blow my mind, the creativity of God, the genius of God in these cells. Even though that professor was spewing things that I knew were contrary to the Word of God when it came to how these things came to, into existence, I could still admire the truth that was being spoken when it came to our bodies and the complexities of them. Or perhaps you read a good book, and even fiction, for example, there, I know a lot of Christians who shy away from fiction because they say, well, it's not true. But a, a fiction book would not be a good book unless there was truth within it. Unless there were things that it would actually help us to understand, maybe of human character. Uh, plots that unfold, that allow us to understand human nature in a way that makes it very personal. And so whatever you find yourself doing, whether it be reading or maybe... Uh, you come across a painting that captures the essence of something. You know, sometimes people look at abstract paintings. You ever see someone looking at the abstract paintings and they see things in those things? And you're thinking, what in the world are they seeing? I don't necessarily enjoy those things. But when you see a painting that you see truth, you see something that's captured in that painting. Maybe it's a portrait of someone that you love. And the artist just captured that person's face or something about that person that you absolutely adore. And so as you come across these things, remember it's the whatever. Whatever is true, whatever you come across in your daily life that is true, meditate on these things. Paul's not being specific here. Secondly, he says, whatever things are noble. And that word noble means honorable. Things worthy of reverence and respect. 
I think of a soldier who sacrifices everything for the sake of his or her country, for his family. I was just at a Penn State game a couple weeks ago, and they had, uh, it, it was in honor of, uh, of our soldiers, they, they had a wife whose husband was in Afghanistan, I think in the Air Force, and the wife was there, uh, and they had family there at the game, but he was over in Afghanistan again, and they showed a big video of him, you know, saying, we are Penn State, and had to get my Penn State plug in. Um, so what was so awesome about it, though, is after the video showed of him, you know, speaking from this airplane in Afghanistan, everything went quiet, and all of a sudden, through one of the entrances, here he came on a chariot, of all things, <laughs> riding towards his bride. It was just such a beautiful thing when you saw a soldier who had been overseas fighting or serving his country away from his family, and then you saw him able to reunite with his wife. It was a noble thing. It was a beautiful thing to celebrate. And you know what? Everyone in those stands was going nuts, celebrating this guy coming home to his bride. Or a police officer who rescues someone from a difficult situation. Some different things. How about calloused hands of a hardworking farmer? or a doctor who performs life-saving surgery, the feeding, of people, uh, the feeding of poor people in a community, or a father who quits a lucrative job so that he can better be, uh, better be with his family. As I began to think about this, you know, one of the greatest impacts my own father made on my life, when I was about eight years old, my dad was always in door-to-door sales, and he got this very lucrative position, a uh, management position within the company where he'd be traveling every week back and forth from Chicago or Detroit. And he, I remember him leaving on Sunday night, come back Friday, late afternoon or evening. And as a father, it broke his heart because even though he was making more money, he wasn't able to be there with us. And he would miss my baseball games. And so he ended up quitting that job just so he could spend more time with me. And when I think back to my father, and I think back to the sacrifices that my parents have made for me, and I'm sure all of us sitting in this room this morning could look at our parents and look at the sacrifices that they made for us, or people who made those sacrifices. Really interesting and, and about my father's story, about two years after he quit that job, the very same plane that he flew into Pittsburgh every single Friday and crashed. And so if he had not quit his job, he would not be here with me even to this day. Um, but things that are noble, everywhere you look around, you can find these things if you choose in everyday life. They don't have to be necessarily huge things. And so whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, and that word means right. And again, this is defined by the Lord what means right, right? Because today, in many ways, what is wrong is right and what is right is wrong. And so, again, we need a standard of what is right. But when we think about justice prevailing, when we see people honored for her heroic acts, when we see the elderly cared for, in 2008, I came across a very uh, staggering statistic. It said that 50% of people in nursing homes never receive visitors besides the staff that are there. 50% of people in nursing homes never get visitors. And so I love those ministries. We actually have a ministry here in this church that goes out to nursing homes a couple times a month. Brad and Becky uh, lead that ministry up. And it's such a wonderful thing when you look at things that are just. 
when you see people being cared for who are neglected by society, the poor, the vulnerable, whatever these things may be. And so whatever things are just, whatever things are pure or untainted, and this seems to get a little bit more difficult this day and age, right? Trying to find purity in this world. It's, it's very hard because we're, we're bombarded with such impurity. We're bombarded daily with so many images, so many sayings. I mean, you turn on your cell phone, you don't even have to look for things anymore. It comes at you when it comes to impure things. But you realize that they are copycats or perversions of good things that God has done or will do. And sometimes as believers, we have to look for purity in this world. You know, it's so hard, being a father, it's so hard to find movies anymore. Where you can just have a family movie, where you can have your kids enjoy something with you. Um, I would encourage you, there are resources out there like kidsinmind.com, where you can screen movies before you see them. So that you can make sure that whatever's coming into your house, that, that it's going to bring purity of mind, that it's not going to be polluted by the filth of this day and age. But if we're honest, isn't it true that we all battle with this thing? Isn't it true that when it comes to our thought life, this impure thought life is something that each and every one of us has to wage battle with? But again, as believers, remember, we're going to be told later on to meditate on these things. As believers, here's the good news we actually have the ability to determine what we think about. See, before Christ, we were blinded by the enemy. We didn't even know it. We were just thinking about whatever the world was pumping into our brain. And so if a commercial said, you need this, then I thought, ooh, I need that. And ultimately, we were under the sway of this world. But as believers, we can actually choose what we think about today. Remember, we're told to cast down every thought and every argument. Sometimes it's very important when those thoughts come into our mind to cut them, right? We need to stop those thoughts before they begin to take root. Because the longer you let impure thoughts in the mind, the more likely those thoughts are going to dig deep and bear, uh, root, bring roots, which will ultimately bear fruit. But we as believers have the choice. What do we fill our minds with? What do we meditate on? One thing that I found to be true in my own life is this. It's a lot easier to meditate on whatever is pure than to try to not think about what is impure. See, it's, it's such a battle if you're only focusing on not having impure thoughts. Do you ever try that? Where it's just about not... But when you begin to fill your mind with things that are pure, it does something to those things that are impure. It, it casts them in the proper perspective, in the proper light. It allows you to see these things the way that God sees them, and not that maybe we've seen them in the past. And you can find things that are pure in this world. Did you ever look into the eyes of a newborn baby? I know someone in this room did just recently. There's something about when you look into the eyes of a little child that you see this innocence. You see this life that hasn't yet been completely tainted by sin the way that the average person's life has been. And you see the beauty there or this drawing of a young child, the, the innocence, the sincerity of those things. Or a mother's patience with her children. If you want to see something that's pure, look at a mother dealing with children sometime. 
Then look at a father dealing with children. What a different picture, right? As a father, you know, it's such a struggle when the kids are acting out, if, if they are. But I watch my wife and her patience, her gentleness towards those children. It's something that's so beautiful to see in the heart of a mother. And so whatever things are pure, whatever things are untainted. Next we have whatever things are lovely. And here, the lovely has the idea of whatever is pleasing. It's like, again, looking at a painting with all of its colors, and it pleases you, or hearing a beautiful uh, song or a symphony. And when you hear that music playing, again, it, it maybe does something for you that you determine to be lovely, that this is maybe a glimpse of what God has in store for us in the future. Or you look out your window, or you go out on your deck, and you see a sunset. And, and the sky and all of its hues and its colors. Or you feel the power of a raging storm. You feel the power of that wind last week? How powerful nature can be. Or you see two people who love one another get engaged. That's something lovely, amen? amen. Or you just hear a song that brings you back. And listen, I'm, I'm not talking about every song out there under the sun. But there are songs out there that, you know, they're not flaunting immorality. That maybe bring you back to a, a special season of your life. Isn't music have the power to do that? When you listen to certain songs, it just brings you back. Where it reminds you of people who maybe aren't with us anymore. And so there are good things that we are to fill our minds and our hearts with. Things, whatever things are of good report. These are things that are admirable, commendable, or well-spoken of by others. And I think this is so important that we think about these things, especially when you're thinking about your relationship with other people. You know, isn't it true that in human nature we tend to look at the bad? You ever notice that? That, we all, that, that by nature, not everyone's like this. I realize we have a few super sanctified saints. But by nature, I think... We tend to, when someone does something wrong, or if it's directed towards us or someone else, we tend to always think about the wrong in a person. And especially as we look at the context of this, you have these two ladies, Yodia and Syntyche, who had this breach in a relationship. What would happen if they began to look at and think about the things that are admirable in the other person? Or maybe you have a relationship or you're, you're encouraging a couple who's having difficulty in a relationship. And I ask the question, what, what do you admire about this person? What did you admire about this person that brought you guys together in the first place? It's so important to think on these things because it's so easy to think otherwise. And to capture what Paul is getting at here, notice he concludes with, if there is any virtue and if there's anything praiseworthy. This word virtue, it means excellent. And it's a classical Greek term that meant mental excellence, moral quality, or physical power. And again, this was highly esteemed in Greek and Roman society. So this is something that the Philippians would have valued even before Christ. Virtue. Seek after it, they were told growing up. And I believe this is important because here's what Paul's getting at. If there's things in society that don't conflict with Scripture, if they don't contrast what God has revealed in His Word, meditate on those things. 
Because this becomes a bridge or a, uh, this becomes dots that are connected for the people in your world that don't ever read a Bible. In other words, if, if Greek society said virtue is important, but I said, ah, that's a pagan term. I'm not, I don't want anything to do with virtue as a believer because it's not a word that I find in, in the Old Testament, let's say. What would that do if I abandoned that truth, that thing that's good, to my relationship then with unbelievers? Shouldn't I as a believer who's filled with the Holy Spirit actually embrace those things that are good to the highest extent? In other words, someone in this society in Philippi who would have looked at a believer should have said, wow, look at those Christians. They exhibit virtue. In fact, they exhibit virtue more than Caesar and all of his household. They exhibit it. They're the standard. But guess what? We're not putting to ourselves when we're doing these things, right? Whose mind do we want to have? See, we want the mind of Christ. So as we meditate on these things, we, we don't want to stop there. We want to actually put these things into practice in our lives. Because he says, if there's anything of virtue, if anything that's praiseworthy, meditate on these things. And then in verse 9, we're going to see that Paul encourages us to actually put those things into practice. But before we get there, I just want to conclude with a couple other things in verse 8. That when it says meditate on these things, okay, whatever's good, whatever you find yourself experiencing in this life, remember that word whatever. He's opening the door, <laughs> to the universe here. Whatever you find that's good, praiseworthy, lovely, meditate on these things. Carefully reflect upon them. Take them into account. And remember that through this, our minds are transformed uh, into the mind of the Lord as we do these things. But this is not as easy as it sounds because in order to meditate on these things, in order to discern whether they're good or not good, isn't it true that we need a filter? We need to be able to think biblically. We need to discern. When I see an image, let's say I turn on a movie, right away, the longer I walk with the Lord, I should be able to discern, is this good? Is this movie good? Is this movie lovely? Is this movie of virtue? Or isn't it? Right? And hopefully the longer I walk with the Lord, the more I know the Word of God, the more quick I'm able to discern that because the longer I let that movie play, the more vulnerable I become or the people who are watching that movie with me. And so I should be discerning these things. I have to discern them. But here's the challenge. I believe we live in a day and age where discernment has gone out the window. Because we live in a day and age where I don't have to think that much anymore. I can just Google it. We, we live in information overload. When we have a question or we don't know something, we don't really have to figure it out anymore that much. We can just YouTube it, Google it, right? And, and this is something that people had warned about for years. A, a book by a guy named Neil Postman called Amusing Ourselves to Death. It's, it's a book that talked about the dangers of amusement, of entertainment. And he, he said this, he said, as he saw it, people will come to love their oppression to adore the technologies that undo their capacities to think. In other words, people will begin to love the technology, even though the technology is actually diminishing their ability to discern and think through things. And so Paul's challenge to us in this day and age, as we look at this text of scripture and whatever's we find ourselves experiencing, as we meditate on these things, we have to discern, 
is the thing of good report or not good report. You know, one of the, one of the things that I've tried to implement in our, in our own house, if my kids can't watch it, I probably shouldn't be, to be honest with you. If, if, they should, if I don't want them to listen to this music, then why should I? Or anything that I, I think about, I want the mind of the Lord, and that's a pure mind. And I found as a father, so often, when I look back at my kids, when they were one and still innocent, and they didn't understand the wickedness that we experience on an everyday. There, there's something about that that even I want that too. And this world is fighting for our attention. And so we have to meditate on these things. The battle is in our minds. Think deeply about them. But don't stop there. Notice Paul says in verse 9, The things which you have learned and received and heard and saw in me, these do. This is about the third time Paul has encouraged us, look at my life. And as I follow Christ, follow after me. He's given an example for us to follow in following the Lord. But notice he doesn't tell us just to think about these things anymore. Notice he tells us these things do. Put them into practice. Don't be a hearer of the word only, but be a doer of the word also. Now, in closing, I, I want us to see the big picture of this in this letter. And that is this. As, as we think about these things, whatever you find in your life, no matter where it is, whatever is good, whatever is praiseworthy, whatever is true, as you experience these things in life, don't stop there. And what I mean by that is this. Everything that's good should point you to the Lord. Who created those things that are good. In other words, as you see the sunset, don't be like the romanticists who painted the sunset and worshipped the sunset. Let the sunset draw your heart to the creator of that sunset. Let it show you the glory of God, the power of God. As you look out at the night sky, and I've seen some beautiful skies here in Cumberland. As you look out at the night sky, Realize the creator of those stars, the creator of the galaxies. If you look in a microscope and you're looking at cells, remember the mind that designed those cells. As you look at the child's eyes and you see the little face glowing, remember the creator of that child. As you look at a, a marriage, remember who that marriage points us to. See, everything that's good should point our hearts, it should direct our hearts to the Lord, the one who, remember it said, rejoice always in the Lord, right? And so everything should point us to the Lord, and specifically, it should point us to Christ. Because if I was to take the name of Jesus and I was to put his name in verse 8, remember, we want the mind of Jesus, right? We want to think like Jesus. Well, finally, brethren, whatever things are true, is Jesus true? Whatever things are noble, is Jesus noble? Pure, was Jesus pure? Or lovely, or of good report? And so the more you meditate on these things, the more these things should point you to Christ. And here's the really neat thing about it as you think about the Lord's mind, right? The way Jesus thought about things when he was on this planet. When you read the Gospels, do you ever come to that conclusion that he thought about things very differently from the way that you think about them? When Jesus saw the sparrow, what did he think? 
he thought about his father's care, didn't he? When he saw the poor woman giving the couple mites that she had, he saw a heart that was given to the father. When he saw the multitudes who were just roaming around, what did he see? He saw them as sheep without a shepherd. When he saw a loaf of bread and wine, he saw his body and his blood. See, I believe as Jesus looked at people, do you ever notice the difference the way he looked at people and the way the religious people looked at people? Because the Pharisees, they, they knew the scriptures, but they had this confined, narrow, wrong view of God, and they had this wrong view of others. And it created this self-righteousness so that when they saw people who were different from themselves or even known sinners, they just looked down on the people. But when Jesus saw sinners, he didn't condemn them. Isn't that amazing? When Jesus was on this earth who was perfectly pure and holy and good, he didn't condemn us. He didn't go judging and, and just saying, ah, everything in this world is wicked and evil. And it's just going to burn someday, like some preachers that I w encountered as a student at Penn State. Man, I was really scared from some of the people. All they said was, you know, just burning fire. Uh, th there's truth to that. There's a coming judgment. But the mind of Christ is different from the religious mind. And it will ultimately come to pass in how we view the people that God puts in our life. Because I learn as I look at these things, as we meditate on these things, it should draw our hearts to two things. It should draw us to love the Lord, and it should draw us to love others. And the more that we have this mind, the mind of Christ, we'll see those things take place in our life. The more we put these things into practice and we do them, the more we'll become like Jesus. And here's the kicker. Here's the clincher. Notice the very end of verse 9. Don't miss this last little statement. As you do these things, the God of peace will be with you. You see, as you begin to develop the mind of Christ and the heart of Christ, and you do the things that are pleasing to the Lord, you put yourself in a position to see him for who he is. He's the God of peace. And he reveals himself to us in all of his glory and his clarity. Remember, last week we saw he gives us his peace, right? The peace that surpasses all understanding. It doesn't say he get, that we'll see the peace of God here. It says we'll see the God of peace. And I believe as we develop that mind, we will see him rightly. And it puts everything in its proper place, doesn't it? When you have a right view of God, everything falls into the right place. And you see the world through the lens that he sees the world. And you know what? Thank the Lord that he didn't send his son to condemn the world. But through him, we would be saved. That's the only reason why we have a hope this morning, right? That when he looked on us, he didn't see, he didn't see someone who was beyond repair. Maybe beyond repair by ourselves, yes. But he chose to send his son. And the son chose willingly the same mind that he wants us to have embraced a cross for us. And that's the mind that we're heading towards. That's what God desires to do in each and every one of us as believers. The mind of Christ. Isn't that a wonderful thing? I want to see the Lord correctly, properly. I want to see the God of peace. I want to understand that he will be with me. I want a right knowledge of him. 
And it comes down to what do we think about? What entertains your mind? Are you filling your mind with the whatevers that Paul has just put before us? Wherever and whenever those things come into play. And you'll begin to see the hand of God in every area of your life. Don't confine God to Sundays and Thursday nights, right? Don't confine the Lord to just a religious service. He's the creator of the universe, the sustainer of life, the giver of every good thing. And let your heart see your heavenly Father's hand in all of his gifts so that we give him the praise, the honor, and the glory that he deserves. Let's close in prayer. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you that you desire us to see your hand in anything that's good, Lord. Father, as we welcome newborn children, as we see good things taking place within our fellowship, Lord, we acknowledge that it's of your hand. We acknowledge that it came from you, Lord, and that you receive all the glory and the honor for every good thing. Lord, would you help us to meditate on these things? As we live in a world that is going further and further down the current, away from what we would call good or pure, would you help us to meditate and find things, Lord, that bring more purity, more goodness, Lord, to our hearts and our minds. Would you renew our minds, Lord? Help us, Father, with these things, Lord. There's such a battle so often, Lord. And we all have different struggles. For some, it's anxiety and fear. We take our eyes off of you. But, Lord, we just praise you and we thank you that you are sufficient. We thank you that he who has begun a good work in us will complete it, as we saw in this epistle. We thank you that you are faithful, Lord. We thank you that you are with us, that you are near, that you're coming back for us, Lord. But you're preparing us for that, Lord. You're preparing us for eternity. And so would you give us that mindset, that eternal mindset, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.